Greetings, my brothers and sisters. Sending gratitude to all of you who are joining in today to accompany us down the rabbit hole of self-exploration through plant medicines. My name is Ryan Sprague, and I'm here to tell you that your frequency is now set and tuned to explore psychedelic medicines and the impact they've made among the countless psychonauts exploring the last true frontier. Buy a ticket and take the ride with me as we get true first-hand accounts of the experiences, benefits, risks, and transformations taking place within the ever-expanding world of psychedelic medicines on This One Time on Psychedelics. It is no secret that within the space of psychedelics, there is ample opportunity for the process of healing to unfold. However, as anyone who is connected with these medicines I am sure understands, healing is not a given. This is because, in many cases, without support, individuals who come up against their shadow and trauma do not know how or feel safe enough to process it in the moment. Today's guest on the show is a woman who is leading the charge when it comes to assisting and guiding those looking to connect with plant medicines, including cannabis, with the intention of healing. She is an energy healer, a practitioner of somatic meditation, a trauma-informed healer, a mindfulness expert, breathwork coach, and much, much more. In addition to her work within the plant medicine space, she has also devoted herself to assisting women in the process of womb healing and has an absolutely fantastic 28-day womb healing digital product that can help women looking to reconnect to their sacred selves. So please, help me in welcoming my dear friend, Colette Elosha, to the show. Colette, so good to have you here with me. Hi, thank you. Wow, that was such a beautiful introduction. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. You know, I mean, thank we you. got to connect a little bit beforehand, too. And so I just love your work. I love what you do. Of course, anyone who does cannabis work is immediately a best friend of mine. You know, we <laughs> yes. got to connect for everyone listening. We got to connect. And it's just so cool, you know, because the realm of people focusing in with cannabis is very small compared to people focusing on psilocybin, MDMA, LSD, ketamine, etc. But yet cannabis, right? Like I'm, you know, my listeners have heard me talk about till and blue in the face is everywhere, right? Like there's so many different archetypes of people that are already interacting with it. It's the least stigmatized. I truly feel, even though it is still very stigmatized. So it's just so amazing to connect with other people like yourself who focus on cannabis and so many other things that you do as well. So happy to have you here. Thank you. So happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. And so I love to start these by figuring out like, you know, how did you first become interested in the realm of psychedelics? And we'll include cannabis as a psychedelic when I ask that question. So how did you first get into this realm? Uh, it definitely started with learning and exploring cannabis as a sacred plant ally that then led me to building safety in my body first before I was even ready to explore any of the other medicines. And so I had been a longtime meditator and a longtime cannabis user, but never put those two things together. And back in 2019, I was in a particularly challenging season of life and just thought, you know, a little bit defiantly, all of the meditation teachings that I've studied have said, don't mix with cannabis, you know? And I just thought, you know what, let's just see what happens. Let's see worst case scenario. And so I set an intention. I created an environment that was really intentional. I blessed or like said a prayer unintentional intention over the cannabis, smoked some weed. And then I took myself on a journey of breath work and a body scan meditation. And by the time I got halfway through the body scan meditation, I was already in this, I call it the medicine space. I was already in it. And it was really overwhelming. I've been working and working with cannabis and just unconsciously smoking cannabis since I was 17 years old. And so almost 20 years and I had never had an experience like this before. So it really blew my mind and took me off guard. So anyways, get through the body scan meditation. I have one of the most deeply profound spiritual experiences I had ever had up to that point in my life. 
So a few days later, I was like, was that a fluke? Was that just random? Was that real? And so I thought, let's just try it again and see what happens. So I did the same exact thing. I set the intention. I set the space. And again, another deeply profound overwhelmingly beautiful experience. And I thought, okay, this is a thing. This is something. So then I started working with that practice regularly myself. And then I pretty quickly started guiding others through a cannabis meditation. I was living in LA at the time. And I was, I found a small yoga studio that allowed me to do cannabis meditation in their studio. So I started sharing the practice with other people. And so that really built so much safety in my body to even begin to open myself up to explore other psychedelic medicines. And ultimately what I've come to learn now after working with psilocybin mushrooms and DMT and working with other plants and still continuing to return to cannabis meditation as a form of prep and integration from those really profound other medicines, I've just come to settle that like when leveraged properly, when you really know how to extract all of the nutrients of what cannabis has available to you, you can reach just as many deeply profound and overwhelmingly beautiful states with cannabis as you can with these other medicines. And so my work now in supporting others is primarily focused on cannabis and cannabis ceremony and teaching people how to use this ethically, responsibly, and inside of a sacred practice of healing and helping people come to to get the most out of the practice. And so what I understand is about how to build enough safety in the body to tap into these profound mystical spiritual spaces where the healing occurs. Um, and also to help comfort and educate the mind in how to integrate these experiences into waking consciousness. That is so cool. You know, and I love this because not only does it touch on a lot of the things that I know as well, but it also really allows one to dive into the fact that, exactly what I've talked about before and what you're talking about right now, that cannabis does have the ability to take you to these places. It's just not as much of a given, right? Like if you eat five grams of mushrooms, you're going somewhere for sure, right? Yes. Now someone could smoke a joint and sit on a couch or they could smoke that same joint and go on a deep journey, right? So yes. it's a little bit like, I don't know how to describe that, but it's not like, what I would say is it's not a given, right? So cannabis, unlike other medicines, First of all, I think a big part of it is the belief system around it. It's never been looked at like in the last, let's say, you know, 80 years as this sacred plant teacher that it truly is. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, mushrooms, all of these things, even though they've been, you know, illegal and things like that, people have still known, like, even if an average person talks about mushrooms, they're like, oh, I don't, I don't do that. I don't want to trip. Right. But no one really talks about cannabis like that. And so nowadays, right, like that's coming back up. Thank goodness. Yes. You know? But I think that's one of yes. the challenges as well. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think that there's a, an element of skill. There's an element of intentionality mm. that comes into working with cannabis to get that type of potential out of it. Like you're saying, if you eat five grams of mushrooms, you're going, <laughs> you are going on that journey regardless. And with cannabis, it does require that that mindfulness, that ability to drop into the body, that ability to attune to the breath and a skill set of surrender that is not present with you when you're working with other medicines because the other medicines don't give you a choice to surrender. They're taking you one way or the other. The other thing I think is really interesting about using cannabis instead of other medicines is the way that cannabis activates and really works with your waking consciousness, right? It works with that part of your brain that's here and now. And so although it quiets it and it sort of puts it on the back burner, some of these other bigger medicines, they blow past that default mode network so profoundly that when you come back to waking consciousness, you have to make sense of two completely different realms of consciousness and try to integrate in some way. Whereas with cannabis, it just kind of stuns that part of your brain when you know how to work with her properly. And so 
your waking consciousness is present with you through the entire journey. And for me, that's so supportive for actual lasting, sustainable integration that leads to real change and transformation instead of just like, oh, I ate a bunch of mushrooms and had a crazy experience, but I have no idea how to make sense of it today or in my job or in my relationships or with my inner child or whatever it might be. And so for me, leveraging the potential of cannabis in this way actually really, really supports a more profound integration process than some of these other medicines can if you don't have the proper tools. Yeah. You know, it's so great you mentioned that because that's something that I've been really stuck on recently is, you know, I'm really focused on is the fact that these other experiences, the way I describe it, they send you so far out, right? That you're having an experience of reunionizing with God, right? Is how I see yes. it, especially with 5 yes. DMT and medicines like that, yes. which is fantastic if you know how to contextualize that and what it means for you in an everyday situation, right? But again, right. unless you're very skilled at that, right? Like it's going to take you a long time if you don't have the right people around you. But let's face it, like most of the people, I'm not going to say most, but a lot of the people that are getting into psychedelics now do not understand why people like you and I would recommend they have a guide, right? They might hear us say that and be like, oh, they're just being overprotective. It's like, no, not necessarily. We're trying to make sure you get the most out of it and your whole life benefits as a result, right? Whereas cannabis, I've always said, gives you a microdose of the grandiose experience, but it allows you to like really be in the humanness of you while you're experiencing that. And just like you said, right, it's like it can it can shift the orientation away from the ego and default mode network, but they're still online. So you have this ability yes. to what I call integrate on the go. You know, I give the yes. example all the time that say if you go into a, you know, a cannabis ceremony with the intention to explore a creative block that you've been feeling and you get this idea that, you know, more painting is needed in your life. You could, if you wanted to, you could pick up your phone, take action on that right now and sign up for an art class, right? And now you can integrate on the go. Whereas a lot of these other medicines, it's not that you can't do that, right? It's just that it's a little more challenging. And so I think with so many people getting into the psychedelic space, like cannabis can be a great starting tool and also a great finishing tool as well. Like you were saying, right? Like at this point in my life, you know, I'm, I love being in my human self, right? Like the way I think of it is if we're infinite beings, right. And we choose to believe that, well, we're only here for like a microdose of that infinite experience. So why would I not want to be here as much as possible? Yes. I think that's really like that saying Ram Dass said be here now has had like layers to it that over the years I've dove into. And this is my latest layer, right? It's like, oh, this really is the gem, right? Like, you know, they talk about that a lot in religion, how like, one of the biggest challenges with religion is they always say that like this life is really meaningless, but it's where you're going after heaven that really matters. Right. Where this is a complete opposite polarity of that saying like, no, this is actually the experience that is the microdose of the thing you're going to be forever. Right. So take, be here now and take this, you know? So I love that. (laughs) I love it too. I think that there's a a realm of, I call it the spiritual matrix, but like the psychedelic (laughs) matrix, right. Where it's no different. We're just pursuing enlightenment. We're in pursuing these peak experiences, which is no different than us attempting to get out of our human self. It's we're avoiding or running from or pursuing something which is creating suffering in some way, shape or form. And so, you know, I believe that embodiment is really the answer to all of what we're seeking is to, to your point, being so grounded in your human experience and so clear about all of the different nuances of it, right? Like I'm not trying to suppress my trauma. I'm trying to bring it to the surface in fact. And so with cannabis, I think that when you're working with her in ceremony and you have these types of experiences where you are having this reunification with the divine, you are having a out of body in body experience where the two parts of selves, the physical and the energetic are completely aligned and are meeting completely in, in that moment that changes your entire worldview. And it helps us recondition this pursuit of 
escapism, right? There's so many things that we're looking at enlightenment or psychedelic liberation or whatever, but it's just another mechanism for escapism. And ultimately we're here to be fully human, fully in this body and fully in this experience at this blip for eternity. And when you're done with that, we can be enlightened when you're dead, right? You'll be enlightened. You'll be in light when you're dead. So for now, be inhuman, be embodied and find the brilliance and the beauty and the joy that is inside of that experience any way that you can. Absolutely. You know, I absolutely love that because, you know, like uh, mystery school is big of this too, right? Like we all talk about light. Everyone talks about, like you were saying, like being enlightened, right? But, you know, I think there's this connotation that light is like all love and light. When in reality, light, a lot of the times is what people are referencing when they talk about shadow work, because a lot of the times, like you don't notice your shadow when it's in the dark, you notice it when the light hits it, you know? And so like a challenge with a lot of these bigger medicines is that people are unaware of the fact of like what we're talking about right now, that there is a shadow, what the shadow is, what trauma is, what safety in your body feels like, like all these things. And they go do 5-MeO-DMT and they have a shit ton of light hit all of their shadow at once. When in reality, cannabis can like inch you an inch closer into that darkness, right? And they illuminate just enough that you're like, okay, that was plenty for now. Let me go integrate that. Okay, now I'm ready for another dose. Let's look into it. But at the end of the day, our shadow is really just like the parts of our divinity we've yet to reclaim into our wholeness, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's like this interesting thing I see going on, but I love that you touched on this because, you know, I had this download a few years back, right? Probably about seven years back now, actually, where I saw a lot of this psychedelic, you know, renaissance, if you want to call that, uh, taking foot. I just asked myself to tell myself the truth about it. I was like, you know, what's the difference between someone going out and drinking until they're blackout to forget about their problems and someone going from ceremony to ceremony? Like, yes, it might be the same analogy of someone quitting drinking and starting exercising all the time. But if they don't understand like the the deep layer of what they're trying to overcome with that, then they're just going to end up going to the gym so much they get injured. And then they're going to be going to all these therapists and spending all this money to fix their body because they're going there for therapy. Right. And, and it's really not like supposed to be that way in theory. Right. Anyway, like, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of how I look at it, like I did that for a long time. Right. Like I literally did the gym until I got injured because I was using yeah. the gym as therapy. And so like when people are just going to a ceremony for therapy, they're actually like forgetting the point of like, no, the, the ceremony is like the PEAK experience and the therapy, coaching, integration, whatever you want to call it is actually afterwards where you try to contextualize what the hell you just learned in that experience. (laughs) Which is why to me, cannabis ceremony is so potent and so powerful because there's almost like a safety mechanism to me that I've witnessed that's built into this practice or to this work with cannabis that if your body, your nervous system is not ready to approach these really big shadow spots or really understand this unification process with the divine or any of those things, if your body's not ready, if you're still locked in a pain body or a trauma body, then there's almost a safety mechanism that cannabis holds that'll just, you just won't go there, right? So you could sit down and set the intention and smoke your weed and do all the things. But if you don't yet feel safe in your body, then you'll just lay there and be high. And that I think is where the benefit of this practice comes into some of these other medicines is because the, the trendiness of psychedelic renaissance and the people being like, oh, I need ceremony after ceremony after ceremony, but they're not actually reconditioning the nervous system. They're not actually tending to the inner child and the fear body. Then all you're doing is bypassing, bypassing, bypassing. And so we, but it's fun because we can see colors, right? And so there's yeah. like this element of like, oh no, I'm doing all this healing work. And I'm like, well, yeah, but also you're just seeing colors and that's cool too, right? No shame. And ultimately 
using any of the plants, quote unquote, unconsciously, I do think is still going to benefit people long term. But for me, when we're in this age of biohacking and human optimization and trying to get the most out of this lived experience and try to bring as much love and power to the human experience as possible, why not really extract as much nutrients and potential out of any of these medicines? But also like you don't have to go to the jungle. You don't have to do 5-MeO-DMT and have a crazy ass experience. Smoke some weed and land your living room floor and just like breathe and see what happens. And honestly, the revelation of that shadow will come with more tenderness that it's so much easier to approach it lovingly and then ultimately to integrate it. And so, um, you know, I'm a huge fan of all of the medicines and I'm a huge proponent for being sovereign and pursuing a calling. And if you feel called to the medicines, then fucking go. But also let's not like put these medicines up on a pedestal and make them be the escape all be all end all of this human suffering. Because in a lot of ways, when you work with those big medicines, it's going to rip open your suffering body. It's going to rip open that trauma body. And if you don't have the tools and the support and the education to really understand what that means, then it's going to cause more harm than it's actually going to serve you. And so you'll either then just suppress or disassociate even further and you're not going to gain the wisdom from it, or you're going to be like, nope, I'm never doing that again. And then you don't have the potential for what could be, what could come through if you really understand what the plants are offering. And so that to me is where, you know, I'll bang on my drum about cannabis, cannabis ceremony and cannabis meditation all the time. That's why I offer cannabis meditation every single week on a virtual mm. platform. Cause it's just like, just start here, my friends, just start here with cannabis meditation. You don't have to go to the jungle right away. Like start here with cannabis and your breath and see what happens. And then let yourself open and bloom to the potential of these other medicines as your nervous system says, okay, I'm ready for what's next. Yeah. And cannabis is the most relatable, right? Like in terms of like, most of us have busy schedules. Most of us are not trust fund kids, right? So like we don't have the ability or the opportunity or the luxury of going and spending $5,000, going to the jungle, taking two weeks off of our life and then time to integrate after like we have families, right? Like we have, right. you know, kids in a lot of senses, we have other passions, we have things we want to do. And so for me, like the reason I love cannabis, I mean, there's a million of these reasons, but the latest one that I found is that like you were saying, it's the one that's going to be able to help the most people. If we really look at this, honestly, you know, yes. because we can't take mushrooms every day. Right. Not that we should be necessarily connecting with cannabis every day, but we could in theory, right. If we mm -hmm. wanted to. And the thing is like, just like you said, I'm not here to judge anyone on how they interact with any medicine, but provide education that if someone is on here and they think that they want to do healing with cannabis or any other psychedelic and they start realizing like, wait a minute, am I just going from ceremony to ceremony? And I'm actually thinking that's healing, right? Like now they can start to understand like, Oh, that's not really healing. I'm going to do this thing. If someone wants to just take psychedelics and see colors, cool. Have fun with that, right? Like, I'm not here to tell you that well, your way of doing it is wrong or anything, but it's here to like, once again, we're both educators, right? We're here to educate based on our own experiences of going through these things of like, hey, if you want to heal, this is how you actually do it. If you're just looking to go see colors, go have fun and do it, right? But I think that yes. giving people that choice and educating them on it allows them to discern what way in which using these medicines is going to help them the most in their life. Hey, hey, everybody, I hope you're enjoying the show. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you all know that the doors are officially open for the Conscious Cannabis Collective. And as such, this is the last week you can sign up and receive all of the bonuses we're currently including. This is the last time I will be personally onboarding those of you who sign up with a complimentary one-on-one -on -one session. 
and you'll have the ability to get the Grow With Cannabis course for free during this limited time. For more info on how you can take advantage of this offer, head down to the show notes for this episode and secure your spot today, as we only have so many spots left and they are filling up quickly. Now back to the show. Yes, 100%. And I love that what you said, because cannabis is so approachable, right? Mm. And at any point, if you're in a cannabis journey, you can snap yourself out of it and eat some snacks and like, you'll be right. And so there's, <laughs> yeah. there's this sovereignty and this control that you have with cannabis that you don't have with other medicines. And if a six hour psilocybin journey or, you know, a 12 hour LSD or ayahuasca journey is not your vibe, then it's like, yeah, you can do 20 minutes and then, wow, get crazy results from cannabis. If you give it 90 minutes in a cannabis session, you're going to have incredible results. And I feel like witnessing in my community, the number of people now over the last two years of sharing this practice publicly and online, just to witness the growth, the healing, the evolution, the transformation of those that are really committed to working with cannabis intentionally as part of their wellness package, if you will, like as part of their wellness program to watch the transformation happening. It's literally mind blowing. It's literally mind blowing. And so it's like, I'm a huge ad, like I said, huge advocate for all the plants and you can work with them however you want. But if you want real transformation, just commit to one, commit to cannabis meditation. I say this to my community all the time, commit for six months and then call me and let me know that you have not changed. And every single time <laughs> that someone has committed, they're like, my life is completely different because we've reconditioned the nervous system, right? And these other plants, they just bypass the nervous system. And so they're helpful and I love them and I work with them and they're amazing. And they don't do the same thing to the nervous system as the cannabis meditation and cannabis ceremony does for sure. Yeah. You know, I love talking about this stuff with you because I'm like, you get it right. Like, and many of our <laughs> listeners, you know, they get it too, but it's just so fascinating because we both know Stephen Gray, right. And Stephen Gray mm -hmm. is coming up with a new book called how psychedelics could help save the world. And I interviewed him again recently and he was very like intentional about putting that word could in there because he was like, listen, I don't want anyone to read this book and think all I need to do is go take psychedelics and the whole world's going to fix itself. But what he was saying is that if the doomsday calculators or whatever they want to call it are accurate and we don't have that much longer to turn around the way in which we're living and start supporting mother Gaia and these kind of things, then we need a really quick awakening. And you really can't do that with just simply meditation or simply breath work or any of these things, because most of us don't have the luxury to go on a year long Vipassana retreat or to go do breath work in the hills of wherever for a year, right? Like we don't have that luxury, but what we do have the ability to do is have a profound experience and then have the support thereafter to help us integrate that, that, you know, that potent experience and actually start applying it to our everyday lives. And so when I think about cannabis, I'm like, okay, so with psilocybin, with all these other medicines, there are people that are doing them, but they're just really starting to get super popular in the mainstream right now, right? There's like research studies coming out, things like that, that are showing that they're not putting holes in your brain, all this kind of stuff. But that's going to take some time. Cannabis, on the other hand, you know, it, it became medically, medically legal in California in 1996, right? It's been fully legalized recreationally in uh, Colorado since 2012. So we've had a lot more time where every different archetype of human being, I know this from working at a dispensary, whether you're a police officer, a firefighter, a librarian, old person, young person, whatever gender you are, like 
literally everyone is interacting with cannabis. So what if we were able to take that thing that people are already doing and start showing them like, hey, what if you just did this little thing different, right? Like setting an intention. Now you have the opportunity to open up this whole new way of interacting with something that people are already interacting with, but yet allow them to have this big experience, right? This PEAK experience and be set up with the tools to actually change it. That for me is a good hypothesis of, of, of a way in which cannabis could help change the world if we were able to educate people. And that's why I'm so big on having these conversations, right? Because again, this stuff is easy. Like setting an intention beforehand does not take going to take a PhD course, right? It's just like, what do you want from this experience? Okay, put it in a sentence. Okay, say it out loud. Okay, now go through your experience. Okay, come out, take some notes on what happened. Okay, cool. Come to a community, talk about those things. See if other people have had those things. See what other people have for support. You know, this stuff is not challenging whatsoever versus like, well, if you want to do ayahuasca, you got to save up $5,000. You got to take two weeks off. You got to go make sure you find the right center because just because you go pay money to a center does not mean they're going to have the best of intentions, right? So like there's so much that gets taken out of it because the way human nature works is we would love to think that like, if you think about the environmental crisis, we would love to think that by telling people to walk to work and these kind of things that they would get it. But honestly, human nature is like this. Human nature is not willing to make their lives harder to, to support people they've never met for an eternity that they're not going to be here for, right? Like, you know, for future generations, what humanity is honestly going to attach to is things that make their lives easier. So if you can show them like, Hey, by setting an intention, you're going to get a higher quality experience. You're going to be able to potentially save money on cannabis because you're not going to keep having to run from the things that you're numbing out all day with cannabis. If you can show them it can make their life easier, that could be like a mainstream thing that could catch on. And so that's like one of the millions of things that I'm really excited to have these conversations about is just to show people like this stuff is not complicated, right? It's science, but it's not rocket science, you know? And so I'm super excited about it. (laughs) I love it too. And I think that once you start working with cannabis consciously and ethically inside of a relationship of, of healing, of sacredness, of mindfulness, even like you can go as scientific or as woo woo as you want with what this practice does. If you do cannabis meditation versus cannabis ceremony, it's both deeply profound and very, very healing and transformative. And it's like, I have found, and the reflections that I get back from my community is that if you transition or you at least start incorporating an intentional relationship to cannabis, then when you are engaging with cannabis unconsciously, like when you find yourself slipping into those old ways of being, and this is not judgment because this was my fucking life, but when you start slipping back into those ways of just sort of disconnecting, numbing out, like you're saying, running from, then those experiences with cannabis are way more unpleasant. And so for me, I feel like the plant itself was really helping refine my relationship to her by making me more and more uncomfortable when I was using her unconsciously. And so over the last like four or five years, shifting out of that. And now I really, I'm so sensitive to THC now, like so sensitive. I really only consume and it varies one puff of smoked cannabis when I'm in ceremony. And that's it. I work with Mm. a very low dose THC tincture at night for just to balance my endocannabinoid system. But it's like to go from where I was four years ago and the amount of weed I was smoking just unconscious, even six months ago, just the amount of weed that I was consuming. And then over time, it was like the plant just kept saying, nope, mm -mm, nope, this isn't going to work for you anymore. And so it's funny because this stigma that cannabis is the gateway drug, which I love to talk about, is that (laughs) it's, it's, it is trauma is the gateway drug, right? And the ironic thing about cannabis being pigeonholed as the gateway drug is that eventually, if you use cannabis to disassociate, you, it will stop working. 
And so they think that this like, oh, it's it's going to take you on to these other big drugs or, it's, you know, in this whole mindset of of the war on drugs and just the ridiculousness that that whole entire endeavor <laughs> was. But the thing is, is that if you use cannabis unconsciously, eventually she will stop working and she'll flip on you and she will make you uncomfortable as shit. And that to me is really that invitation to stepping into a greater and more conscious relationship to and with her. And then from there, what is the evolutionary potential? Right. So it's like when we talk about the future generations and, um, you know, being this doomsday kind of timeline of turning around the earth, I also believe that we're really, really at a tight spot in the way that our bodies, human bodies can no longer hold on to trauma the way that we have since the dawn of time. And this is the first time in the history of humanity that we are as a collective being like, oh fuck, are we all traumatized? Like, is this a thing? And it's like, yeah, bruv, every single one of us on this planet is traumatized. And so I believe that's also what's happening in this kind of awakening that's going on on the planet, a spiritual remembrance of what we are, this energetic knowing of our, our oneness with all of humanity, with the creator, with all those things is also this really dramatic and drastic attempt to rewire the nervous system. Like I geek out over the nervous system. That is like my whole work. And it's like everything that I talk about. And I just believe that in the same way that I think that the history of our last two years in the pandemic has called on the need for stronger lungs, like human mm. beings, we're evolving. We need stronger lungs. I think that we're also evolving in that we need more resilient nervous systems. And so all of this work keeps pointing back to, hey, wake up, become aware, purge energy of trauma out of your body, release all of that, rewire your conditioning and your limiting beliefs about who you are and what you've been. And let's step into a greater version of self that's more aligned to love, to truth. And that sounds like hippie shit, but also it's true, right? This people in the sixties that were smoking weed and eating mushrooms, they knew what was up. And then they got stifled, right? And so now (laughs) there's enough of us on the bandwagon, right? There's enough of us in this movement that's like, actually, there's real truth to this belief that we are the energy of love, that love is all that is real. And what happens if every single human being on the planet had the ability to purge and release trauma out of their body without going to the jungle and spending five grand and doing these things, if we had the ability to release all of that, what would our earth look like if every single human being was standing in safety in their body and in their individual truth? And that to me is, it's a little bit utopian kind of, you know, hopefulness, but also like, I really believe in it. And that's what my work is on the planet. And I'll keep sharing all of the different practices that I do. Cannabis meditation and ceremony being one of them, breath work with and without cannabis being another one and womb healing. Those Mm. three like major focuses of my work is focused entirely on that thing. Recondition the nervous system and reconnect with the divine and then game over. Absolutely. I love that you mentioned that because I've been in the initiative of the Modern Mystery School for the last couple of years, and they talk about this. You know, I actually got to meet Dr. Teresa Bullard recently, who hosts uh, Mystery Teachings on Gaia. And, you know, it was so cool to meet her because she described something that just landed for me. Now, when I was when I met her, I was at my second stage initiation. So I was at Healers Academy, where you actually get to give life. You actually get to learn how to give life activations, which is all a part of the lineage of King Solomon. And his whole thing was bringing Shambhala to Earth. And so that's the mystery school's mission is to bring Shambhala to earth. And so Dr. Teresa Bullard was mentioning, she's like, you know, you know, I bet all you guys can remember back to a time when you were a kid, right? Like maybe really young and you had this feeling about the world, right? You can't put it into words, but you had this certain feeling. And then at a certain age, you realized real quick that the world wasn't what you thought it could be. 
what you knew it could be. And so then that feeling started to go away. She's like, that feeling was Shambhala, right? Where you realized mm-hmm. that everything was one. You realized that life could be fun. It was an adventure. You know, you didn't have to worry about things. You didn't have to live in fear. And so what she was talking about is how as of 2021, so like for thousands of years now, the people that have been in the mystery school and other factions as well, uh, other, you know, lineages and stuff have been trying to anchor in the frequency of Shambhala to earth. Well, in September of 2021, finally it started to anchor. And so if you think about like, especially what's happened since, you know, like 2020, 2021, right? This is collectively, I say it all the time, that we live in a time right now where you really don't need psychedelics to have a psychedelic experience. Just look around. Everyone's starting to become aware of all the shit that they are not okay with, right? They're starting to have, you know, these quarter life or midlife crises is much earlier, right? They're starting to realize all of these things, you know, the finance system's breaking down, all of these things, right? So when you think about what I was talking about earlier, how when light hits a dark room, what's the first thing you notice a lot of the time? How messy the room is. That's, I think, a lot of what's happening is that this light's hitting. And so a lot of people are looking to escape in many different ways. And one of the ways people trick themselves into thinking they're not escaping, but actually do escape is with psychedelics like we've been talking about. Yes. And I think this is a really good opportunity to talk about, you know, a couple of different things that you were mentioning, which is safety in your body and the concept of surrender. So let's start with safety in your body. Like when you talk about that, I know exactly what you mean, but I think this is something that you know, we hear people talk about a lot in terms of like people that are these higher levels that can talk about these things because they embody them. But I imagine some people listening could be like, how do I achieve that? What is that? So if you could explain that a little more, I would love that because this is something that I feel like if people walk away from this episode, knowing this one thing, I think it'll be a huge success, let let alone all the rest of the amazing stuff that we're going to get into and have gotten into. Yes, yes, I agree. And honestly, my one of my like favorite taglines, if you will, is without safety, we have nothing. So if we don't have safety, we can't expand. If we don't have safety, we can't evolve consciousness until we root into safety in the body, then we will continue to replay in cycles of where we're at right now. And so to me, actually, somebody just asked me this on my Instagram yesterday. It was like, how do you know if you have safety in the body? And I will say the easiest way is to find out when you if you don't have safety in your body and then work backwards, right? So, so often we're in this fight or flight or even fawn freeze, like playing dead state in our nervous system that it's so chronic that it, we think it's us, right? We think that our busyness and our, our like, you know, either running from here to there and getting a bazillion things done and scheduling 47 things in one day, or we think that are just like really chill, low vibe, kind of like low energy thing. That's just who we are. My depression is just who we are. My anxiety is just who we are. But those are all just chronic states of the nervous system. And so when we start to identify that you're in a chronic nervous system response state, then that means that you're out of safety. You're not in safety in the body. And so the chronic nervous system, depending on you and and where you're at and the different stimulus in your environment, for me personally, I would swing from high states of anxiety. And then when I would, my nervous system would fatigue and then I would drop into deep depression and I would stay in depression for a while until my nervous system would regain enough energy to bring me back up to sort of somewhere neutral. I'd feel really good for maybe a couple of days or maybe a couple of weeks. Then the anxiety would start building, building, building. And then my nervous system would fatigue and I would drop back into a cycle of depression. And I was, this was my cycle on loop for 20 years. Right. And I had no idea that I was unsafe in my body. Just like a fish has no idea that it's swimming in water. It doesn't have awareness until you take it out of the water. And it's like, holy fuck, that is crazy. I didn't realize I needed, I was in that. Right. And so the thing about cannabis meditation, the very first time that I ever did my practice in the way that I shared online now publicly 
the, the reason that was so profound for me was because I became aware for the first time in 30, how old was I at the time? Like 32, 32 years. I became so acutely aware of the amount of fear that I was holding in my body. And so that first awareness was like, okay, this is here. I can't deny this anymore. And so I think that when it comes to learning how to open yourself up and create and then re and stabilize the feeling and the sense of safety in the body, you have to first start with awareness that you don't actually feel safe. Then you have to take steps in order to cultivate safety in the body. If you run in high anxiety, if you run in flight mode all the time, if you run on a thousand miles an hour and 47 cups of coffee a day and very little sleep and a tremendous amount of cannabis, and you're running a bazillion miles an hour, there's no way that you will be able to cultivate safety in the body without a lifestyle shift. It's just not going to happen. And so this is the part where accountability comes into play and not looking to these medicines to fix you or fix your problems because eating a fistful of mushrooms, but then continuing on the path of massive anxiety and all of the ways that that's you're stimulating yourself or your environment without making any lifestyle changes, it's naive to think that any actual sustainable change will come to pass. And so a lot of the work has to come through slowing down, right? We run as a culture, we run faster than we have ever ran in the history of humanity. Technology, like all of these AI artwork things popping up on Instagram right now, right? Like technology is moving at such a pace that our consciousness cannot keep up in the way that we're going. Ironically, the the paradigm shift or the juxtaposition, the, the duality, if you will, is that in order to keep up with technology, we have to slow down in our bodies, right? We have to slow down in our minds. So when it comes to cultivating, creating, and sustaining a felt sense of safety in the body, you cannot, will not do it without an intentional commitment to a practice of slowing down. Now that could be yoga, that could be breath work, that could be meditation, that could be just mindfulness, just sitting still and not looking at distractions and not looking at your phone and just being present, right? And so all of these different senses of where does safety come from? How do you cultivate it? Well, it's, you have to understand A, what is the chronic state of your nervous system? And B, what is the mind telling you about your worth, your value, your shame, your fear that keeps you running or it keeps you disassociated? Right. I look at it two kind of two extreme ways is you're either running away from something or you're completely dead inside. You're disassociated. And there's a wide spectrum of those two extremes. And so ultimately coming into what's called social engagement, if you've ever heard of anything about the polyvagal theory, understanding polyvagal theory changed my understanding of safety in the body. Right. We have to bring our body into what's called social engagement in order for healing to occur, in order for transformation to occur in the mind, for reconditioning in the nervous system to happen. It has to happen. It can only happen inside what's called that social engagement. That means that I'm awake, I'm alert, but I'm open, I'm soft. I'm not running, I'm not fighting, I'm not fleeing, and I'm not disassociating. And so when it comes to safety in the body, I would say the first place to start is, do you feel unsafe in your body? And if you don't know, smoke some weed and lay down and breathe, and you will know very quickly. <laughs> so <laughs> cannabis meditation, cannabis ceremony as a practice, it will reveal the nervous system so clearly if you have the eyes to see and you're open to looking at it, especially if you're someone who consumes cannabis and it feels to be unpredictable for you. Some days it feels really good and it's very medicinal. It's very nourishing to you. And some days it brings on deep states of paranoia, fear, overwhelm. 
that's a very, very clear indicator that there is a lack of safety in the body, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's these lots of different ways that you can tap into the nervous system to find out, do you actually feel safe? And my guess is that 99.9% of people that have never explored this option, you actually don't feel safe in your body. And that's a devastating statistic, but that's the result of every human being on planet earth since the dawn of time experiencing some form of trauma. And now we're the first generation of humans to address this and put the stop to this. So if you come to that awareness first and foremost, is I don't feel safe in my body, then that's where the real work begins, right? So then after the awareness, then comes our ability to intentionally adjust our lifestyle, create practices, find mentors, find coaches, find communities so that you can begin to unpack because the felt sense of safety is so deeply connected to your inner child, to the nervous system, like I've said, to your limiting beliefs about yourself. It's even connected generationally or karmically for women through the womb. That's a huge place. And all of these things feed into where and how we can stabilize that sense of safety. And so the invitation then is once you know, you can't unknow. Right? Once you know that you don't feel safe in your body, you can't unknow it. So then what do you do? What is your conscious choice to create harmony with yourself, to be your own protector that says, oh, you don't feel safe? I got you. I got you. Because oftentimes that's our inner child. That's our inner nervous system just saying, I'm scared. I'm worried. I'm fearful. I'm ashamed. And when we start to come to that with love, that's when we really start to change that chronic state that we have been in probably for most of our lives. So, yeah, I think with when it comes to healing without safety, we have nothing. And I think that there I could also go off on a tangent about finding practitioners or finding coaches or mentors or people that you don't feel safe with. You should not put yourself in medicine spaces with people that you don't feel safe with, even if you don't know why you don't feel safe with them, even if it's subliminal or it's subconscious. Trust that inner knowing. Right. And so healing cannot occur without safety. We have to create safety first then comes expansion, then comes evolution. Yeah, man, that was amazing. And, you know, it's really cool because, you know, I think for most people listening, like, let's talk about some of the signs, right? Like, you know, you mentioned some of them in there, right? Like drinking a shit ton of coffee every day, right? Uh, not allowing yourself to sleep, not being able to sleep, right? Like insomnia, mm -hmm. things like that, anxiety, depression, right? Like all of these things are like one side of a polarity, right? Exactly. Like, especially anxiety and depression. Let's think about that for a second, right? So anxiety is one side of this pole. Depression is the other, right? And what do so many of us do? We just bounce back and forth. Like you were talking about in your journey, right? First 20 years mm -hmm. of your life, you were bouncing back and forth between these two. Now, what, what this sounds like, right? This feeling safe in your body is the middle way the Tao talks about. And you hear about this on a lot of the different like, ancient, you know, spiritual practices, right? This whole idea of the middle way is the way, you know, and that's something that I've been obsessed with, um, especially, you know, when I got into mystery school and with plant medicines and everything, right? Because if I'm using cannabis all day, every day, right, then I'm on one side of the pole. If I'm never using it, right, which is kind of like the AA approach, that's another pole. The middle way is knowing like, hey, can I, do I discern this medicine is actually right? Am I telling myself the truth about this? And that's what I get frustrated with, with people that either do it all the time or never do it, right? And either side of that wants to bash the other one. I'm like, guys, you're both really operating on the same principle here, right? Yeah. One is doing it all the time for God knows what reason, and I'm out to have fun, whatever it is. One is not doing it all the time or never doing it and kind of like, you know, talking shit about this other half that does it, right? But what about the, the sovereign being that can understand like, oh, you're passing me a joint? Mm, not right now, it doesn't feel right. Or on the other hand, like, oh, you're passing me a joint? Let me check in. Okay, yeah, 
I'll go with that, right? Like that to me is true power because yes. at the end of the day, if you're just never interacting with something, that's another form of addiction, right? Mm -hmm. Addiction is like the process of only doing one thing over and over again and expecting different results, right? And so at the end of the day, I think that's so important to understand what safety feels like in the body and also what some of the signs are that you're not safe. Because I really love what you said about like the best way to understand if you feel safe is to understand when you don't feel safe, you know? Yes. And I love paradoxes like that. And again, it's very similar, you know, to a lot of the different things I talk about, right? Like, you know, it's like if you want to figure out if exercise is therapy for you, right? And if you're addicted to it, try going without it for seven days and see what happens, you know? Then you're really quickly realized rather than going to the gym every day the same amount you've been trying to and just thinking like, am I using this as therapy? I don't know. I feel really fucking good right now. So I don't know, right? So it's actually in the absence of something that we can really learn a lot about it. And the other thing I wanted to talk about too was surrender because mm -hmm. this is a term that I use a lot because I know it's a trigger term for a lot of people. And <laughs> yes. so like, I like to kind of like, you know, reimagine what surrender is. And so I'd love to hear it in your terms, like what you think surrender is and how people might be able to reimagine that better listening to this episode right now. I love it. Surrender mm -hmm. is so important because well, I think it's one of those words that gets convoluted inside of the religion dialogue as well. So there's a yeah. lot of like negative baggage to it. I was raised sort of evangelical Christian. And so a lot of my journey has been deconstructing that and finding this intersection between the spiritual and the scientific. And because even though I was raised in that way, and I'm quite the mystic and I'm quite the seeker. I like to present my work very um, linear and logically because I understand the weight of these words that have come through institutions and organized religion oppressing people through these terms. So, so um, the, the notion of surrender that I think is so important for me physically, it of course comes back to the nervous system and it comes back to the body, right? Because again, everything that I teach is energy. I'm an energy practitioner first and foremost. I just choose cannabis meditation, breath work, and womb healing to help people understand the energy system and the energy field. Well, the energy field and the way that to understand it is woo-woo, right? It's spiritual in that sense, but I don't want to position myself as one who teaches of spiritual things. So I would always rather return to the linear, the scientific, at least in the forward-facing stuff. And then usually with my integration stuff or my in-person stuff, then we get a little bit more woo-woo, we get a little bit more in that spiritual realm. So this notion of surrender, though, to me, I actually call it the point of return. And so when I'm teaching about cannabis meditation and using cannabis meditation as a formal practice in a way that you can leverage it for its fullest potential, I like to use the analogy of the time when you're sitting on an airplane and you're about to fall asleep and you don't really realize you're about to fall asleep, but then you kind of jolt yourself back awake, right? There's an actual scientific term to describe that when it comes to sleep, but I don't remember what it is. But we've all had that experience, right? Where we have this moment of I'm almost in and then I jolt back. And so when it comes to meditation, whether you're using cannabis or you're not, you're using any other plant medicines, there is this sweet spot, this moment of, I call it the point of return, because once you touch it, the likelihood of you being snapped back to the return to the waking consciousness is far greater than the likelihood of you actually slipping in and sinking into that state of surrender. And so when I share this practice online publicly, I do workshops or I work with people one-on-one, -on -one, it's helping people feel safe enough in their body to tiptoe closer and closer and closer to that feeling of surrender. And then maybe they do it a thousand times. Maybe they get to that point of return and snap back a thousand times before a thousand and one, they finally slip in. And so that to me is still a reflection of our nervous system. And so what I will always tell people is that if you don't feel safe in this realm of consciousness, 
then your mind will not allow you to access higher or alternate states of consciousness by choice. So this is where it is going to require five grams of mushrooms in order to get you out of that mind. But you don't have to do it that way if you just teach your body how to feel safe enough to surrender into an altered state of consciousness. And so when you think about this mo this idea of surrender, it's not surrendering your will to something else. It's not surrendering your power. You know, that's another big thing that I think we learn from religion. Even if you're not in religion at all, it's so conditioned into our culture that you have to surrender your will to something greater than you. This notion of surrender is releasing resistance inside of the body and the mind simultaneously in such a way that it drops our, our consciousness into an altered state of being. And I call you can call that the quantum. You can call it the healing realm. You can call it the universal field of intelligence, which is what Dr. Joe Dispenza calls it. You can call it literally whatever you want. You can call it heaven because honestly, it's all in there. It's the infinite. But our waking mind doesn't know itself inside of those spaces or inside those realms of consciousness. And the whole point of having an ego is for it to know itself inside this realm of consciousness. And so when you put your mind into a possibility or a potential for it to lose awareness of itself in relation to everything else around it, it is going to grasp and cling through creating fear in your body that says, no, 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 don't go in there. Don't go in there. Don't go in there. And that's the point of return where you just like snap back up and you're wide awake and you're like, Fuck, I got to start over, you know? And then it's like, okay, back to the breath. And this is the journey of the meditator, right? Is to learn how to soften, soften, soften enough till you get to the point that the nervous system is so released, so relaxed and so surrendered. And the mind goes, oh, I'm down for this. And then you just lose connection in some way, shape or form. You lose connection to this physical plane. You drop into the energy in a way that's deeply profound, very vast, very eternal. And that to me is where I call it supernatural healing comes, occurs, right? You can call it an encounter with the divine. You can call it a return to Jesus. If you want, you can call it any of these other phrases, but what happens is that when you're in that space, maybe you're in there for two seconds or you're in there for 30 minutes. But when you come back, you're changed. You are a changed person. And so to me, surrender is really the, one of the most important skills that I share. And I help people not be so a afraid of just language wise because of religion, but also I help put into tangible language to help them understand what's going on physically in your nervous system and in your mind so that it doesn't feel like this wildly taboo, very scary, very intimidating thing. Like, oh, if I surrender my body and then I'm just like floating into the ethers, that feels really scary for a lot of people. That's okay. And if the mind and the body don't feel safe on this plane of consciousness, how could I ever ascend into, you know, a million crystals of light and then just experience that crystalline energy as well? And so ultimately we got to work through the layers of our human in order to access this deep well of eternal wisdom, love, truth, and healing that exists inside of the body. And you got to be damn sure that working through the layers of your human is going to come up against all of your trauma, all of your fear, all of your pain, all of those shadow self that we talk about or this ego self, this inner child. We're going to have to work through those layers in order to access that healing space. This again is a reflection of why cannabis meditation or cannabis ceremony in comparison, not that, it, not that I'm saying one is better than the other, but in comparison to these other plants, cannabis meditation requires you to work layer 
by layer by layer by layer through your human to get to that deep inner space. Those other medicines will just blast you into that inner space, which is great, but then you're left with sort of fragments or shrapnel of your human that's like, what the fuck just happened? I have no idea. And so the integration process, because we've worked layer by layer, like just peeling an onion, we've worked through the, through the layers of the human with consent to your own body consent, right? We've worked through layers and layers of the human with safety, with intention, with, with delicacy, right? We're not just going in there with a fucking jackhammer, just like, oh, it's fine. We're the five MEO DMT. It's great. You know, like we're working through these layers and we're supporting that. And then when you use these other big medicines and you use cannabis meditation as an integration tool, then it will remind you of what you addressed or what you felt or what you experienced inside of those spaces to support that integration. And so if we can lose the baggage that the word surrender holds, and we can just come back to the physical surrender in the body means I'm not holding any tension every single muscle, every single bone, every cell, every organ, every aspect of my being is limp, is relaxed. There's zero restriction or tension in my body. And that will always be accompanied by zero tension in the mind. And when you can access that state, which if you're having 47 cups of coffee, an enormous amount of cannabis, you're not sleeping, you're not having good consensual, safe sexual relationships, you're not eating well, you're not getting in nature, you're behind a screen all day, you're not going to be able to go from that to accessing deep states of meditation or consciousness overnight. Like it's just not going to happen. You have to work toward that space intentionally over time. And so surrender becomes the mechanism really of where we access the quantum. And without it, you won't ever get there. You just won't. And that's okay. But for me, it's like, I want to be in the quantum. I want to tap into that space as often as possible, whether I have plants in my body or not. And ultimately my work is to also show people that once you understand the road, un understand the path through the forest with cannabis meditation, then ultimately, ideally, you should be able to reaccess those states without the plants. Yeah, I love that you added that caveat on there, too, because that's what I talk about. You know, I'm like, you know, the point of Connect with Cannabis is not to have people leave the program thinking they need cannabis to access the things we access in the program. It's meant to show them what is already possible behind some of the trauma, some of the challenges living within their body and mind. So that now they're aware of what their work becomes in terms of integrating into their sober state of reality, these states of awareness, they were able to game with cannabis. And I think that one of the big things that we're seeing here, or like that, you know, I think about a lot, and I, I imagine you'll agree too, is that for a lot of us that have like, you know, been steeped in mystical teachings and been really into spirituality, we understand that we are one. Right. We understand that we're infinite. We understand that this is just a vessel that right now we're having an experience in. And I think for a lot of people, they might be able to logically say that, like maybe they read it from Ramdas and they truly believe, you know, what any of these individuals have said, Buddha, Jesus, whatever. But they haven't realized it yet. Right. Like yes. they haven't had an experience that backs up that knowing, because I think yes. like and this is a whole rabbit hole, but I think that, you know, knowledge in in today's world has been like, how much can you recite from memory versus what experiences have you had then learn the knowledge that's going to allow you to contextualize those experiences. So I think yes. what's happening a lot of the times is that people are hearing other people's success stories from, you know, psychedelics, especially like the other medicines like Fabio, DMT, ayahuasca, et cetera. And they're thinking, well, if it worked for that individual, it should be easy for me, right? I should be able to go through it. But I think a lot of the challenge is getting past that negative part of the ego that thinks it's finite, that really believes yes. it's finite. 
you know, and that's why I love being able to work layer by layer, as you said, because, you know, you don't want to kill the ego. That whole movement is fucking ridiculous, right? Yes, because I at the agree. end of the day, you know, like we're here to have an illusion. We're, we're here to have yes. an experience of illusion of separation. And the ego is what allows us to have individuality, right? It's what allows you to be Colette, me to be Ryan. I like playing this game. It's fun. So I don't want to kill the ego, but I also want to tiptoe it into realizing like, okay, yeah, there is something deeper here. Yet at the same time, I wanted to know like, hey, I'm not trying, like, like every time I'm doing a ceremony, I, I tell my ego, I say, listen, we're about to go through an experience. I want you here, but at the same time, I want you to be curious with me and I want you to dive into this and trust me, I want you here. I'm not trying to kill you or any of the silly stuff that maybe I've said in the past, right? I need you here with me, but can you work with me in this, right? And then usually what I tell people is like, you can throw in a caveat, like tell your ego that when you come back, it will be even cooler, you know, or whatever the ego wants to hear. It's like, all right, I'm in now, right? But I think this is so important because to the degree that you think you want to kill an aspect of yourself, no wonder that part of you lashes out when you start going out of the medicine. Imagine like warrior energy is really not the energy to go into a psychedelic experience with, but especially a lot of men, what do they do? fuck yeah, dude, I'm going to eat five grams of mushrooms and kill the fuck out of my ego. I'm like, yeah, good fucking luck. Have fun with that. You know, like, again, I speak from experience in doing that. That is just completely silly. And now understanding what I know now, the same way that if you have a child, right, that you have to tell a hard truth to, let's see, maybe a grandparent passes away, right? You're not going to walk up. And when the kid's like, where's grandma? You're like, she's dead. Like, you're not going to say that to the kid, right? You're going to be like, hey, we need to sit down and talk, you know, for a second, right? And be like, okay, do you understand what heaven is? You know, however you talk to a kid, right? You're going to tiptoe that child into understanding that his grandmother or her grandmother is no longer in this physical plane, right? And you're probably going to throw a lot of caveats in there that, hey, you know, she's just transitioned from one form into another, whatever it is, right? So over time, that child will be more and more okay with the process of grandmother no longer being there in the physical incarnation that she was in. And so like, it's the same thing with the ego. The ego is really like a child in a lot of ways to me, right? Where that infinite part of me knows there's nothing to worry about. But at the same time, I'm having this illusion that is very real that a part of me thinks I'm finite. And so it's not like a one and done thing, right? Like this is something I go through in every single cannabis ceremony I'm in and everything. But the ego's quicker to catch on every time and go, okay, okay, it's one of those things. No, no, no. We felt amazing after that. So do that. You know, like this made us better at podcasting, whatever after. So this is cool. We can do that. Right. And so a lot of the times it's just about working with it and laughing with it all the way to the bank. You know, yes. and so I love how you brought up surrender because there is so much negative connotation put into this word. And at the end of the day, like, think about it. Do any of us truly want to like surrender in the context that it's been given to anything like be submissive in that sense? Like most of the time in which surrender is used, it's not in, like a very consensual way, like in a relationship or in like a religious type way, right? It's like, you must surrender, right? Like, yeah, good luck. Human beings really don't like authority. Most of us anyway. And so like when you start to realize that, no, we are our own authority and now we understand surrender is not the term that we learned surrender to be. Now we can actually flip the script on that and go forward in their lives and actually have that concept serve us rather than harm us based on what we thought was true about surrender. Yes, I love it. And if you look at the ego, it's really it's it's been formed every second of your life in this in this lifetime since you were mm. born, right? And so it's like it's a result of trauma, conditioning, beliefs, programming, conditioning. It's everything that you've learned throughout this lifetime and every moment of this lifetime that you've lived. So 
you don't need to kill it. You just have to heal it, right? Because the ego is the greatest manifestation of our trauma. It's the most Mm -hmm. obvious way that we experience the world through our trauma body. And so when we really start to understand that and you look at the ego, not as something that needs to be killed or destroyed because it can never be destroyed. And I always laugh a little bit when people are like, oh, you know, I ate five grams of mushrooms. I had an ego death and now I don't have an ego. And I'm like, "Mm, (laughs) ego showing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Your ego is literally saying that and laughing all over the <laughs> and so I laugh because we, you know, all of the the Instagram's world of spirituality and psychedelics is wildly misleading, and that's probably yeah. you know one of my biggest frustrations, and also why I don't really position myself in the psychedelic world. I'm in yeah. cannabis, right? I'm gonna do my thing over here in cannabis. I'm in my little corner of the internet, just doing my thing. I don't, I don't like, I want more people to meditate with cannabis. So I would love more eyes on my work doing podcasts like this is a great opportunity for me to reach like my like-minded humans, but I'm not out here trying to like get a bazillion people to do the thing. It's just like, Hey, just slow down, come, come in, you know, come closer and see what you find here because it's not about killing anything. If you're going into a healing journey, trying to kill something, you're already backwards, right? You cannot heal what you hate. And so until you learn to love the ego, ultimately in every expression that it holds, including the fearful inner child, including the traumatized woman, including X, Y, or Z thing, the toxic masculine, whatever it is that we all hold in our bodies, until you come to those things with love, then we won't be able to transform them or alchemize them into a higher expression. We'll only be able to further suppress them into the shadow. And that ultimately is what people get confused on. And they think they have an ego death and they're like, Oh, I'm above that now. And it's like, well, yeah, but you've just shoved it into a different corner. It's just like cleaning out a junk drawer and then putting it into a different drawer. It's like, yeah. Let's, look at this one. It's so clean. And I'm like, well, yeah, but you're still a mess up here, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I, I love to teach about the ego because I'm fascinated by the mind because of my history with depression. Right. And so mm. for me, I started Years and years and years ago, I started reading so much about meditation and the brain and how depression works and why, where does it come from? What is it? Because the whole chemical imbalance thing never resonated with me because the pharmaceuticals never helped me ever. And so it's just, and that's just my own personal story. But for me, I have always known, even in the midst of my depression 10 years ago, I've always known that it was something else. And so I've just been on this hunger to seek knowledge. And I think even to your point that you made before, I wanted to follow up with, um, I think Jamie wheel says, be, be cautious of wisdom unearned. Right. And so there's a difference between knowledge, which is I can recite to you this thing that I read in a book and it makes sense to me. And I choose to believe it no different than people that are in religious institutions that choose to believe in this theology or this dogma or whatever with no lived experience, but wisdom that lives in the nervous system. Here we go again on my soapbox about the nervous system, right? The wisdom lives in the nervous system and that is embodiment. And that comes to what we talked about at the very beginning of this conversation, right? We have to get out of the brain and get into the body, both in our healing and in our evolution. And I don't think that we're going to come to evolving mankind through the workings of our brain, especially in the way that we're so addicted to our technology and we're not taking that time to really drop into the body. And so for me, healing and evolution, expansion, enlightenment, whatever you want to call that, all of it lives in the body. And so this notion of surrender is not about giving up one's power, but it's actually reclaiming one's power and coming back home to the self in a way that changes the ego's perception of reality. And in doing so, you become a more 
just joyful person. Like just being a human is less agonizing. And you're like, oh, this is fun to be Colette. It's fun to be Ryan. This is dope. We're just playing a game out here. Then the weight of the world is no longer crushing on the soul or the heart space because you've liberated all of that limiting beliefs that the ego has about what it is, what it's not, what you are, what I am, the separation, all that. And then it comes to know itself as an integrated part of the whole of the universe. And then that's when that surrender is easier. And it's like, we don't really have any control. It's so funny how we're so put off by this word surrender as if you have any fucking control over anything. <laughs> You're on a spinning ball in space that's just flying at a bazillion miles an hour, surrounded by space trash with like meteors flying by us at any second. You have zero control, okay? So lay down, smoke some weed and practice surrendering and see how that translates into so much more freedom just in your waking consciousness. Yeah, I love that you brought that up, you know, too, because I remember one of the most profound experiences I had earlier on in my psychedelic called a career. That's super cringy, but I'll use it for a lack of a better term. My psychedelic career, you know, was uh, I was messing around with some liquid and I totally took way too much. Uh, I took between like 50 and 60 hits of LSD with a friend of mine. And so I realized when it was coming on, I didn't, I didn't realize like when I had taken it that I took too much. It wasn't until after when it started coming on like 10 minutes and I've told the story before, but it was a very challenging uh, ordeal. But what happened was the only thing I could do was fully surrender. Like I kept getting this cue in my mind of like, put your feet in the grass, put your feet in the grass. And it was like nighttime. I was lucky in a really good you know, setting and a really good mindset too with the right person, one other person who I knew could handle it. So as soon as I realized something was different, I wasn't about to go try to break down what the hell happened. I just knew like, well, even if it was one dose, something is different. So I'm just going to go lay down. And so I laid down in a yard with my cousin and we just watched the stars for like eight hours. And it was the most freeing experience I've ever felt in my life. I've had uh, experiences otherwise, uh, both in my sober state of reality, I'm able to do these more frequently now. But the other experience that really changed me was on a six gram mushroom tea where I realized, uh, you know, me, I'm, you know, I'm a very go, go, go person. I like doing a lot of stuff. You know, at least the old version of me likes being busy all the time. And I realized about three hours into this that I was completely content, like in pure ecstasy, just staring at the ceiling. And I was like, what is this foreign feeling, right? And so like, again, that then led me to be like, what was that? So I come out of the experience. I start learning about surrender, the nervous system, all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, yikes, I feel attacked. Like, I am totally upregulated all the time. And I yes. thought that was like, you know, because again, you watch people, you know, like, I think a lot of the times people think that, you know, you only learn things from what you're told, but most of what we understand, a lot of our trauma, things like that comes from what we watch. You know, like mm -hmm. I talk about this a lot with, yes. with regards to inner child healing, you know, like for instance, like my parents could not have been any more loving to me. Right. But mm -hmm. I watched how they treated themselves and I watched how they treated each other. And so yes. therefore I learned a lot of things yes. about how life is quote unquote. Right. And so like when I think about, you know, why so many people are go, go, go. It's not all the reasons we already, you know, aforementioned. It's also the fact that we're watching commercials and all these things about like, oh, you tired? You just need coffee. Oh, you have a, you have a headache. You have an Advil deficiency, right? You just need some more, right. right? Like we're watching all these ways in which people just like prioritize productivity over anything. And so when we start going into why we can't relax, 
at some level is going to be a level of what we learned is actually valuable. And to be a pr productive member of society, you need to be upregulated all the time because you're only worth what you can produce. And so there's yes. like so many levels out of this stuff, but I'm so glad you brought that up because it's such a big yeah. point. And I think that when it comes to kind of like what's going to fix humanity, it's not more of the same, you know, like you were saying, like, it's not going to be the mind that fixes humanity because what does the mind do? The mind tells you I'm coming from light and that person over there is the enemy. Well, guess what you just yeah. did? You just fell right back into duality, right? Yes. If you're in anything that's making another side of the, the enemy, you're just doing the same thing that you're hating on them for doing, right? This yes. is where forgiveness really comes in because forgiveness, what I really love about forgiveness, and this is one of the things that plant medicines have allowed me to experience. And then I went and learned and you know integrated after forgiveness is seeing like, say if someone is in a bad mood all day, right? They're living in some type of trauma and then they lash out at you. Forgiveness is realizing that that was never personal to begin with and being practical and realizing like, oh, that person's living in pain. Why wouldn't they be mean to me? Like that actually is perfectly on brand. And so you can forgive them in the sense that you know that that's just not really them. It's an aspect of them. You can put up a boundary, but you forgive as a gift to yourself to realize that wasn't personal and it's not a deflection right. of my character. It's just something they're going through. And so I love these concepts. I could yeah. And then forget what you said, like putting up a boundary is forgiving of self in the way to allow to say, no, I, I don't, I see that you're having a bad day. I see that you're having a bad mood. However, that's not safe to me in my nervous system. And therefore I'm going to forgive myself for staying in this situation for as long as I have, I can break this connection with love. Right. And that's honoring the self first and foremost and, and creating that safety for yourself. Because if you're in that state of like, oh, well, they're just having a bad day. So it's not personal. Well, yeah, but every time that they lash out on you because they're having a bad day and you just hold it and say, well, it's not personal because they're having a bad day, you're betraying that inner sense of self and that inner safety. And so forgiving the self, it's, it's both of those things. I went to a breathwork session yesterday. And one thing that I took away that was so powerful, he said, um, sometimes being gentle with the self is being stern with the outside world. And I love mm. that so much because, yeah. you know, as somebody who is very highly sensitive, very highly traumatized, and then also trying to become an entrepreneur in a stigmatized sort of industry, it has brought me to my edge in every single way, shape or form. And I think that learning how to forgive others, but really to forgive self and to create those firm boundaries with the outside world so that I can have that gentleness with self has been a really big, important part of creating safety that says, my safety is more important than your bad mood. So love you, love and light and fuck <laughs> off, you know? <laughs> so there's, yes. like, there's this element of let's not betray self in this higher awareness that just because I can see your trauma, just because I can see your ego, your conditioning reacting toward me in that way, I am not going to deny my own safety by accommodating for that type of treatment. And I think that there is a real... Uh, duality when you come to the middle road there, right? And you're holding both of those things as true. I can see that the way that you're behaving is a reflection of your trauma and I don't have to fucking take it. So, yes. you know, which, that, so that doesn't mean that I'm a less spiritual person. It doesn't mean that I'm <laughs> less enlightened because I set this boundary and say, no, I'm not tolerating that type of behavior. And I think it's just really important to remember that it's so easy for us to get wrapped up in these idealistic ideas and concepts of like, oh, I, I just see that their behavior is a reflection of their pain. I work with people, traumatized people all day, every day. This is my whole entire life. I know many, many, many traumatized people that do not cause harm to others, right? And so just because you have the awareness of, oh, they're in their trauma and that's why they're behaving the way that they are. It's also this, yeah, but my nervous system is also equally as important. And so I'm going to protect her above all else. And I think that, you know, that could easily 
from the outside be perceived as the selfishness, right? Or this egoicness of like, oh, you think you're better. And it's like, no, I don't. I just prioritize her. I take care of her. I love that. You know, there's a book I read that changed my whole life with regards to this concept called selfless selfishness, right? Mm -hmm. And so we all hear, right? Like the classic example is, you know, you've got to put your mask on before you put someone else's mask on if the airplane's falling. And actually my mystery school uh, guide had a really funny thing. She's like, why is everyone normalizing, you know, the whole statement of, you know, you got to put your mask on before another person's mask, but I'm not asking why everyone's getting on planes that keep crashing, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, that was a you know, funny pun, but, yes. you know, I think it's, it's this whole idea of that, you know, if we understand that we must come first in our lives, right? If why we're here is to make the world a better place, starting with us, right? Because it all starts with us and ends with us. Then by you setting that boundary, you were saying, no, I get to come first in my life because in order for me to go out and pour from my cup, it needs to be overflowing. And by me putting this boundary up, I'm ensuring that my cup is going to continue to overflow. And so there's actually nothing more selfless than doing that. But to the uninitiated mind or to the one who's not gone through things like this, which again, no judgment, I've been there. That's why I can talk from Mm -hmm. experience. It can seem as though it's selfish because what are they saying? A lot of the times they're, they're essentially externalizing their safety or their needs or any of these things onto someone else. And when someone else doesn't provide that, they lash out because now it's like an addict going without his or her substance, right? And yes. that substance is external validation. And so when you take that away and you reclaim it into yourself, you say, hey, sorry, I love you. The door's open, but you must walk through it, right? I'm not going yes. to sit here and be your punching bag anymore. It's really big, mm-hmm. especially with family, which is cool that we're doing yes. this on the holidays because, yes. oh man, there's a lot that comes yes. up. <laughs> and for highly sensitive people like myself, highly empathic, former people pleasers, right? Bleeding empaths, wounded healers, if any of those terms like, like sort of resonate with you, it's like, I know for, I now know this so clear and I still find myself holding this and dancing with this thing. If I'm in an activated nervous system state, I am of zero service to the collective. I can't do a damn thing for the world. If I am in my fear body, there's just no way. Or if in my, if I'm betraying self, or if I'm in my overwhelm or whatever it is, if I'm out of my truth and out of my center, I am no help (laughs) to nobody. And so ultimately I've had to learn through default, through the uncomfortable method of kind of pushing myself too far and over forgiving a lot of behavior and a lot of treatment and allowing people that didn't deserve intimate access to me to have it for a period of time. Right. I had to learn through those really hard lessons of like, no, 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 no. I am priority. Because once I'm priority, I can serve and benefit exponential number of people, right? But if I'm bleeding out wounded healer energy, people pleasing, overly sensitive, highly empathic, and I'm in my trauma response, I'm literally, I just, I can do nothing. I can do nothing. And so prioritizing my sense of safety, now this is the only thing that I do. I don't care if you're family, if you're friends, if I've known you for two decades, I don't care if I've just met you. If the connection doesn't create a sense of safety in my body, I don't want it. I don't care if Mother Teresa herself or Oprah Winfrey calls tomorrow. It's like, if I don't have that sense of safety there, it's not interesting. No opportunity, no networking opportunity, none of that stuff on this productivity or getting my work out there, any of that stuff, if it doesn't feel safe and grounded and true, I'd rather not. I'll just stay over here in my little corner of the internet and keep serving my community and keep loving on people that come to me that help me create more and more safety for myself. Because I know as I root into more and more safety in myself, I can hold greater and greater spaces of safety for others. And ultimately, I would love to have a room full of 
200 people all doing cannabis ceremony at one time or 500 or a thousand people all meditating, doing breath work at one time. Yes, that is my goal. I would love to see that happen. And I'm actively working toward that. But I also know that I can't hold that type of container until my nervous system is strong enough to hold that type of container. And so every day I get up and I come to my work with this reminder of the, the volume of people that are coming will come as a reflection of the safety that I hold in my body and not one second sooner. And so I'm really reminded of that constantly and talking about this, the mind's desire to judge, right? Like even looking at your board behind you and I'm like, wow, you have a lot of really big goals. <laughs> And do I need, I don't have those kind of goals, you know? And there's that sense of the ego mind getting in the head of like, you're not producing enough. You're not creating enough. Your goals aren't big enough. You need to do more. Right. And so it's like, no, 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 no. My little corner of the internet is doing really good. And my little community is doing really good. And my work is growing right on time at the pace that it needs to in the way that is the reflection of the safety that I have in my body. And I trust it. I trust it completely. And so just remembering that is that, Creating and sustaining a sense of safety in the body is a nurturing and loving relationship with yourself that you invest in every single second of every single day and having the courage, really the courage to say no to anything that doesn't feed and nurture that sense of safety. And in this world of trying to heal fast and trying to get successful fast and trying to get rich fast <laughs> and trying to do all these things fast... People are bypassing their safety and, and essentially selling their soul for whatever it is. And so to me, I just want to remind people and encourage people and remind myself first and foremost that I'm right on time. You don't have to be a million dollar fucking entrepreneur in order to be impacting people's lives deeply. And how do you hold safe containers first and foremost for yourself in order to have slow, sustainable change over time? Because the humanity is not going to evolve overnight. And so I'm in a life marathon. Like I am in my life's work and I am in this day in and day out for the, uh, however many breaths I get to take on this planet and I'm patient, I'm patient. So it's good. Having patience is amazing. You know, mm -hmm. I love that you talked about big goals because one of the things that I've had to <clears throat> reckon with over the years is that I love setting big goals, but at the same time, <clears throat> a lot of the times I realize that the goals are living me. Mm -hmm. And so I've had to like, really like, Part of that, you know, again, everything happens for you. And so I've really like dove into this recently. I'm like, why do I set such big goals? And so part of me is like, oh shit, I set big goals so I could elicit this crazy fear response. So I could see how much setting big goals is actually not necessarily the best way to do it. And then when I take the pressure off, all of a sudden, all of the things start happening. Like yes. all of the big goals that I've achieved over the past couple of years were ones that I, I worked towards, but I wasn't working overly towards. I was just doing it when I felt like, oh, this is the right time to do it. And all the ones that I put so much focus on are the ones that have been the hardest to attain. You know, yes. so it's so interesting to realize that by doing less, we actually achieve more because at yes. the end of the day, it's not like you can have a successful business if you don't like show up for your coaching calls or whatever you have on your calendar, right? It's not about that, but it's just about like that feeling at the end of the day of going, okay, I'm done around four. Oh my God, I could go read. I could do this. Oh wait, no, I should go do these five things that I have to do tomorrow. It's like, no, stop right there, right? Like that's the pattern, at least for me, 
that has been super illuminated over the past two years, especially when the pandemic hit too, because now I'm like, oh, all my distractions are gone. So now I'm like stretching for three hours a day. I'm like crazy shit, you know? And so I'm yes. glad you mentioned that too. It's very, yes, it's very, yes. very poignant <laughs> in my life. And I, I'm very inspired by your big goals. And so I hope that didn't come across in any way. No, and no, does, no. Like, oh, write them down. I really should, you know? And, and I do, I do really try because, you know, my lane is, it's plant medicine, it's spirituality, it's healing, it's trauma, it's coaching, it's, you know, digital marketing. I kind of live in this world that is kind of ambiguous in lots of these different <laughs> industries. Like I don't really fit into any of these bubbles. And so in some ways setting goals feels impossible because I'm like, I don't even know what's possible inside of this space. So I'm very inspired by that. And this is why I also like want to connect with very like-minded individuals in this sense that are in this sort of business and soul-led and healing space that are doing it ethically and responsibly in a way that's really serving the evolution and serving you. Like I should be compensated for my work. I should be paid for my work. And so rewiring any limiting beliefs in me that has been on this journey of becoming an entrepreneur is a really big part of it. And so having people around you that invite you into greatness versus condemning you for not yet being in your greatness. I think this is where real community fosters massive amounts of change. And so I'm, I'm grateful and honored to be, you know, just connected to you and just to have the reflection of like, Oh, this guy's doing what I'm doing and he's doing it successfully and he's crushing it and I'm aligned to it and it's cool. So yeah, super grateful and just super excited. And, and just the reminder that it's so easy to get sucked into this, productivity paradigm and that your worth is connected to what you're producing or what your goals are, whether you're hitting them or not. And it's like, no, my worth is connected to my ability to love. That's it. Mm. And it's, it's yes. inherent. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to prove it. Love is who I am at my center. It's my core. So I am worthy just because I exist. And if I get to help people and pay my bills and live the lifestyle that I want to live along the way, then it's just a cherry on top. And so I, I just, yeah, I commend you for your big goals. I'm inspired by your big goals. And yeah, being connected to you is really like a way for me to start dreaming bigger because up until this point, I've, I haven't met anybody that's in the space that I'm doing that I'm in. Right. And like, <laughs> I don't even know what I can do here. You know, like the number of people that told me don't even try that you could never make money doing that. You can never, you know, all those things. So I'm like, okay, I've gotten past that what is really possible here. And so it's, it's, it's an exciting time to continue to create and put things out there for the humans and hear the feedback of like, holy shit, this is helping people truly, truly helping people. And I can pay my rent. And so that's beautiful. <laughs> I love that. You know, and it's cool because again, like very similar to what you were saying, like I, when I listen to you, I'm like, Ooh, yeah, there's new ways to even feel safe in my body. Right. Like it brings the awareness back of like, Hey, am I really giving myself the time to be safe in my body? Or is this the ego lying to me and saying I am <laughs> when I'm like working seven hour, you know, seven days a week, 12 hours a day, building up programs and things like that. So it's so amazing because now, this is what I really feel community and friends and, you know, all these types of connections really allow you to see is like when you're aware enough to start actually like, you know, just asking yourself some questions every day. I'm like, did I tell myself the truth today? That happened. I have like, why is that getting more and more these days? Right? Like, it's not about judging yourself. It's just about asking good questions because there's always a lesson there. Right? So again, when I hear you talking, I'm like, Ooh, yeah, safety is resonating with me right now. It's like, why? Well, 
you know, this is winter and I have not slowed down at all. It's like, I, I could probably use uh, soft talking knowledge. I could probably use some slowdown time. And yes. I've been noticing that, right? But again, if I hadn't talked to you today, that might've been uh, something I didn't realize for another month, two months yes. when I was at like critical mass, right? And so again, yes. it's like we balance these polarities out within all of us, right? When we talk to each other about these things, if we're aware enough to just be able to ask questions and, you know, not put the pressure on ourselves to always have the answer, but just to ask the questions, you know, yes. Kabbalah, you know, you ask five questions to yourself every day, which is who am I? What am I? Where do I come from? Where am I going? And what is my purpose? And they say, it's like, it's not about, you know, looking for an answer. It's just about consciously asking yourself those questions every day and seeing what comes through, if anything. And so yes. I love this. We're going to have to do a part two of this for sure. Cause I could talk yes. to you all day. Yes. And it's so amazing what you're doing. Um, you as so I was much. saying, of course. Yeah. And you know, one of the last questions I have for you is first of all, where can people find you? Where can they connect with you? Uh, I'll make sure it's all in the show notes, but what do you have coming up? Cannabis meditations, where can people find them? Tell yes. them everything. <laughs> okay. Here's my shameless, shameless plug. Okay. Every single Monday night, I do a virtual cannabis meditation. You can join on zoom through the comfort of your own home. Everything that you need to know about cannabis, cannabis meditation, cannabis ceremony is at my website, which is balancingcannabis.com. My Instagram is colette.alosha. And on there, I post everything about everything I do with cannabis, everything I do with womb healing, and that's in-person workshops, uh, virtual workshops, things like that as well. And then also I do coaching and things like that. So balancingcannabis.com is, I have multiple websites. That's one website, but then colettealosha.com also has the full configuration of all the different offerings that I do. I, I have an online virtual platform called Love Culture, which is a virtual studio and that myself and about 12 other practitioners right now, and we're looking to add more in the new year. It's just a holistic alternative practices, modalities, whatever offerings in one space. And so we do movement, meditation, sound baths, mindfulness. We do workshops. We do psychedelic integration. We do psychedelic preparatory education. Um, we're going to have doulas on there talking about cannabis and doula. We'll do womb healing. We'll do all of it. It'll all live in one hub. And so love culture. When you join a cannabis meditation on a Monday through the balancing cannabis website, you'll be redirected to that virtual platform. And so you can join us on there as a drop-in. You can join us on there as, as a member and, and, and stay with us. So Monday night meditations are a donation-based practice. I never want finances to be a hindrance for people to join into healing spaces. And so Monday night you can join by donation. And like I said, it's just balancingcannabis.com slash live. And that'll take you to all the information, how to prepare your space, how to prepare your weed, what to expect, all of that stuff. It'll all be there. And yeah, just connect with me on the Instagram is usually the easiest way. Colette.alosha, send me a DM. And yeah, I just, I love talking to people. I love sharing this practice, um, looking at hosting more in-person cannabis meditation in cannabis-friendly states. So I live in Utah where there's a medical market, but uh, we can't consume publicly together. So um, I've been in Arizona this weekend doing in-person meditations, looking at doing some in Vegas next year, California, and really wherever. So if you have a group of people and you want to do a cannabis meditation in your spot, then hit me up. Let's do it. And Ryan, I am so grateful for you. And also, I'm going to challenge you because you got to come to my practice. you got to come <laughs> yes. on with this. you got to. Yes. you yes. got to. Well, you because know, I now I have like no excuse. You have no excuse. You really don't. I have no I excuse. Feel like it's so, and I know this for me personally. Yesterday I went and attended a breathwork as a participant. And it's like, as someone who's a space holder, as an educator, who's constantly in that thing, it is difficult for me to take the time to slip into being held. And I think yeah. that for those of us that are on the path of serving the collective, it's even more so important for us. Right. So I better see you at Monday night. 100%. <laughs> I'm going to call you out. You know, <laughs> 
you know, it's so funny because as you were saying this, all like this whole conversation, I was like, you know, I really need like exactly like you said to be held and actually go through yeah. something because I'm always hosting the things. I'm always putting together the meetups, right? I'm always the one doing the stuff. And I love that. But again, yes. polarity, right? Like I want polarity. the other polarity and I want to be able to yes. find the middle way too. And that's yes. something that, you know, I think it's part of the entrepreneurial, um, I'm going to call it opportunity instead of disease because I don't like using yes. that term. But I think it's part of the entrepreneurial opportunity. Like I talk to a lot of people about this. Like if you're someone who's working, let's say, 80-hour weeks, right, in a job you don't like, right, it's pretty easy to notice like, hey, you're overwhelmed, right, you need to turn off, these kind of things. But what about the people that are that love what they do so much that they trick themselves into believing they need to work all the time, yes. 12 hours a day for their mission, right? It's a lot harder. That's like trying to convince a functional alcoholic they need to quit drinking when they're like, what do you right. mean? I make money. I go to my job. I do all my things, right? So please hold me accountable to that. Guys, yes. I will be there for sure. And Colette, I have one final question for you, which is this, yes. right? And I think you're going to like this question a lot. And I might already know your answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway, okay. which is say that someone listens to this conversation. And they're extremely excited to explore psychedelic medicines in their own life. What is the one piece of advice you would suggest to them to allow them to use the proper discernment in choosing whether these medicines are right for them in their lives? Come to a cannabis meditation. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you're for cannabis and you're still wondering, do a breathwork journey, right? I also hold breathwork journeys every Tuesday afternoon on my platform as well as another offering that I do for love culture. And so you can join with or without cannabis with breathwork. So if you're not even sure if cannabis is right for you, start with breathwork. If you do a 30 or 45 minute breathwork journey, you're going to reveal the nervous system. You're going to reveal the truth in the mind and all of that will reveal. So it's like, don't jump into the jungle, you know, don't jump into a hero's dose of mushrooms, do yourself a really solid favor and come responsibly come with reverence to any practice that's going to alter your consciousness. Because if you alter your consciousness irresponsibly, you're more likely to trigger the trauma body than you are to actually facilitate healing. And so start slow, start cautious, trust yourself. Even if me and Ryan are very well-spoken and we have confidence and we can speak with authority, we don't fucking know. We don't know over your knowledge about your body and your mind. And so come with reverence and trust yourself. And if you're not ready for even cannabis, then start with breath work. And if you're, if you do breath work and you're like, okay, okay, I want more because your body will tell you, you'll be like, oh, I'm ready for more. Then go to cannabis. You do cannabis meditation. You're like, okay, I think I'm ready for more. And then it's like, maybe psilocybin feels good next to, you know? So there's, there's a natural evolution toward blasting open the psyche. <laughs> so let's do that with reverence and with sovereignty and with pure consent, meaning consent even to yourself just because your brain says i want to eat mushrooms does not mean that you're getting the consent from your body to actually have those types of experiences and so learning that discernment trusting that voice and following that with responsibility i think that would be the very 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 best way to go about this journey i absolutely love that because it really encapsulates what i say a lot which is life is a marathon not a sprint and i say that every time for myself, just as much as I'm saying it for anyone listening, right? So for any yes. of you guys listening, you know, I think Colette and I talk about these things so, so frequently and so well, because we go through it and we've gone through it, right? Like, you know, you teach best what you most need to learn too. And so the things that I teach are things that also I'm looking to hear from myself over and over and over again, right? Yes. And so I love that you threw that on there as well. Yes. So good. <laughs> okay, I guys. appreciate you so much. Yeah, I appreciate you too. Guys, when Colette and I first connected, we immediately hit it off in realizing that not only were we speaking of cannabis in a similar fashion, 
but that we were also passionate about many of the other same subjects otherwise, such as mental health awareness, trauma-informed healing, the psychedelic space as a whole, and much, much more. Trust me when I say that the work that Colette is doing is nothing short of absolutely life-changing. And for any of you who tune into this episode and are excited to dive in deeper to our work and all of the amazing offerings she has, make sure to check out the show notes, as I said before, for this episode, where I will be listing all of the ways in which you can find her and connect with her today. Colette, thank you so much for taking the time to come onto the show today and diving into the amazing, juicy content we dove into today for being a potent voice behind the forgotten powers of the cannabis plant and its ability to assist us in the human experience and for being the bright light that you are. Until next time, may your journey be smooth and full of light. Aho. Thank you. Aho. I appreciate you.